0: Okay, There's a couple of things in here just to call your attention to. Uh, You can look at the details, but things that uh, may impact you actually. One is uh, Paul came to me, Paul Wardlaw, chairman of our elders for the last three years, and you know he's fighting cancer. He came to me three weeks ago and started talking about the idea of doing a cancer support group because we have 842 people in our church that have had cancer. Seems like it anyway. And so uh, they're starting one. And he's, he's been contacting people that he knows have had cancer. So anyway, it's, information's there. If you have had cancer or are struggling with cancer and you want to go and just talk about it, um, we're going to start a support group. Second one is on February 20th in choirs class. And uh, if you want to find out about our church, if you're new and that sort of thing then uh, feel free to come. Uh, forgive me for not wearing a mask this morning. I forgot it, but I have been tested twice in the last 48 hours because, yes, I did just get back from Kenya. And so uh, I know I'm, I don't have it. Um, but we got to have a conversation, you guys. Okay, my Kenya trip was like every other trip. Okay, I posted it almost every day. I know because a lot of you have been sending me all kinds of stuff back. We'll talk about that in a moment. So I get to the airport, and um, I'm going to a third world country, so I get there six hours early. You know, I have a scheduled uh, test to take. So I get to the airport on the shuttle, Uber over to the testing center, take the test. Well, didn't take the test because they filled my appointment with somebody else. I don't know why. This is just the way things happen. So I said, well, you're going to have to figure out how to fit me in. So I had to wait an hour, hour and a half, and they finally squeezed me in, took the test, went back to the airport. Well, I can't get my boarding pass, so I have the results. So I'm watching the clock, and it's like getting closer to the— I called. Oh, no, we're on it. That's okay. Don't worry. And so finally I, I called, and I said, all right, I know that you guys are busy, but I actually board in 20 minutes, and I'm not even through security yet. Uh, it's been five hours. Can you please get my results? So they did, and I, I, I got to be careful. I say I passed. Some people interpret that as positive. I got a negative, so I made it through. Get there. Get on the plane, and the plane has mechanical issues. So we, we were about two and a half hours late, which means I missed my connecting flight in Chicago to London by one minute. They were closing the door. I said, no, 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 I'm here, I'm here. And she goes, no, the captain's not going to let you on board. He's not going to wait for your luggage. So, so American rerouted me through um, a different way that I wasn't particularly happy with, but you take what you get, right? And I'm sitting in the very back of the plane Well, I've been there before. It's just not my favorite place. So they put me on British Air. So I go to British Air and the lady looks at it and she said, employees in American are idiots. She goes, you paid for a certain class and now you're in a lower class. So she rebooked me all the way through in the higher class, but now I'm on Kenyan Air. Okay, I've never been on Kenyan Air. It's fine. I'll, I'll go with whichever way you want to go. So we get there and um, i supposed to land Sunday night and time to sleep all night and teach Monday morning. Well, I finally land Monday morning at five. So I go to get my bags, and there's no bags. So I go to check in. They said, well, we don't know where your bags are. Uh, we really don't know where they are. Well, last we saw, they were, they were unloaded in London. That's the last we've heard of them. So I said, okay, well, no bags, fine. And so uh, by then, it's um, close to 6.30 or 7. So they picked me up, take me back. I had time to eat uh, and then start teaching at 8 or 8.30. I was supposed to teach at 8, but I think I started at 8.30. So I started teaching. Okay. So this is the way it works. So then I go the whole week without uh, my luggage until the day before I left. And that was at night. I got it at night and I thought, well, shoot, I've gone the whole week. I might as well just leave the suitcase sealed. I don't have to do the laundry when I get home. <laughs> no, that's not true. I I, so the students all laughed and I came in the last day with a new shirt on. And, um, and I forgot I did two stupid things. I'll tell you about that later on the trip. So, uh, so then I uh, get tested to come back and somehow I made it all back. All right, this is the norm. Okay, these are not exceptions. And what's interesting to me is all of your responses. What is wrong with you people? You're lazy Americans. You know, here's the way it works. I'm going to teach Kenyan pastors. Remember I gave you the big picture of the chess game, the chess board between God and Satan. Greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. Well, if there's no challenges, I'm kind of like, well, this is going to be a boring trip because Satan doesn't want me to go. He comes after me every step of the way and you guys are all focused on the inconvenience of it. Not the Faith of it. It's like everything that happens like, oh, okay, I guess I don't get my PCR test. Well, they're going to squeeze me in. Well, maybe I'm not going to get on time to fly. Well, okay, God, we're going to see what's going to happen. If you want me to go to Kenya, you're going to have to give me the test result or bribe everybody or whatever you do. Then the plane is delayed, and all of a sudden I miss my flight. Okay, God, what are you doing? Every step of the way, it's a big chess match. I'm watching Satan and God duke it out right in front of me. And the more affliction there is, the more I know it's going to be a good week. Because Satan doesn't want me to go. And you guys are all focused on, I'm never traveling with you. <laughs> it's like, really? That's your answer. I'm never traveling. I had several of the people write me. I wrote back to you when I said, Chicken. <laughs> don't you want your faith to grow don't you want to see God do great things if you're, in it, if you're in it for the ministry you know what that's just the way life is you take whatever you get and you go okay well, what's now God what's next all right? and I did get to talk to people that I wouldn't normally have gotten to talk to because I got rerouted all over the world uh, no I didn't talk to any exotic dancers this time <laughs> but I did have a long conversation with a flight attendant on the other side of the world who lives here so we had a great conversation about faith and uh and because it was a middle of the night everybody's asleep and i'm awake and so we talked for a good hour two hours on the plane about the lord and uh and what kind of church we have and you know invited her to come and she hasn't been here today or i'd uh, i wouldn't call her out no no i'm just joking so uh it was a good time and You have to remember is that affliction doesn't come your way just by chance or coincidence. It happens because God has decided somehow you need it, either to grow your faith or to give you an indication of what's coming. So every step of the way, I was met with affliction and challenge, not knowing what was going to happen on the next leg of the the journey, but fully aware that I serve God so I don't have to worry. You know, okay, God, what's next? Now where do we go? What do we do now? So, uh... All that to say, all these years of teaching and you still respond with my inconvenience. Change your perspective. Remember, the Lord is in this. This is not by accident what's happening. We started this series in uh, Ephesians to talk about the building. And guess what you're going to learn? Affliction is part of the building. It is. You can't get away from it. You can protect yourself as much as you want and as much as you're able, and you're still not going to get away with it or get away from it, okay? That's just the, what it means to serve the Lord. So you may remember last year we spent quite a bit of time in Leviticus and uh, had a fantastic time with these Kenyan pastors. It may have been the best class I've had in two and a half decades of teaching. And, uh, and so I asked them the question at the end of the week. The whole class was focused on how to do interpretation out of the Old Testament, Okay, if you've read the Old Testament, you know it appears at first to be a challenge. Okay, it's a lot of passages that God seems to be angry all the time, things like that. A lot of rules and regulations which we don't feel today. That led in the history of the church for a period of time where we argue that God is a God of wrath in the Old Testament and a God of grace in the New Testament. Well, that just makes him bipolar. Okay, okay, God is always God. So after going through this class at the last week, I said so. What is it, uh, how has your perspective changed throughout the week? And uh, they said, excuse me, <coughs> COVID lungs, I love them. And so uh, they said, you know, probably the greatest thing that we've changed, we've, we've picked up a lot of skill, there's no question there. But they said, we now realize our view of God in the Old Testament was wrong. We did not know how loving God was. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. And so the Israelites sitting in the sand at the base of Mount Sinai, they're still functionally slaves. um, And they're hearing for the first time Leviticus. No wonder David said, I love your law, O Lord. Because all the other gods were silent. No one ever spoke. The gods, they had to guess. And they were always living in fear of uh, the gods would get angry with him always in the ancient world. And our God is just the opposite. He said, no, 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 no. Don't have to be afraid. Uh, and the ancient God said, you're there to serve me. And, and our God says, no, that's not really true. I created you so I can enjoy you and serve you. In fact, Jesus codified that in Mark 10. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom. And so they're sitting in the desert. And what's the first thing they hear when the law is finally given to them? If anyone wants to make an offering. That's not a command. That's an invitation. And throughout the whole book of Leviticus, there's not one hint of God's anger and all those commands and sacrifices and rituals. Okay? No, there's no hint of it. It's an invitation. If you want to do an offering, here's what you have to do. And I want you, he doesn't say this out loud, but it's it's encoded throughout there. I want you to know how to do it right, not like the nation's. For example, the nations offer sacrifices to appease God, and we offer our sacrifice to enjoy God. Enter into a relationship. What incredible news when they're sitting there in the sand hearing this. And he says, oh, and if you want to thank me for anything, take a bull down, slit his throat, burn the guts on the altar to me. I'll take the guts. Give a steak to the priest, and you have to eat the whole cow or bull before sundown. Remember, we talked about that. That's impossible. So what's the implication? You got to bring all your friends. It's a big barbecue. So if you're going to be thankful, then bring the whole community. So everybody enjoys it. They didn't have that in the ancient world. None of that. So the sitting in the sand, hearing these rules for the first time, I can only imagine the excitement and the joy they must have felt at being with a God who says, I am your God. You are my people. In fact, put up Exodus. This is the covenant that he made with them. Okay. before this verse, the last verse is you yourself saw how I how I brought you out of Egypt, delivered you and carried you on eagle's wings and protected you. And then he says this. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you, you will be my treasured possession. They didn't belong to anybody. God didn't think that way. But I'm going to make you a prized possession, your mind. Think about those words. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. But wait, we're slaves. Yeah. And I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. I'm going to make you a holy nation. Talk about wonderful words. This is the beginning of the law. So when you get to Leviticus, if anyone wants to do an offering, here's what it looks like. Okay? So he made them a holy nation. What does that even mean? He's making a nation, a people group like himself. So... Here you are, and they're they're just like the ancient nations, and he gives them instructions. And he says, when you offer a sacrifice, uh, do it this way so you can have a relationship with me. All of a sudden, we're one step different than the ancient world. When you offer a Thanksgiving offering, bring the whole community so you can celebrate together. Now we're a little bit different. Oh, yeah, I want you to offer this uh, celebrate this festival for seven days I'll watch over your crops for you You can relax now we're a little bit different even yet oh you know you're working pretty hard I want you to take this every seventh day off and rest we'll call that the Sabbath every other God wanted you to work seven days a week you see what happens every command moves them further and further from the world so they begin not only to look different but they become an attraction for the rest of the world they become an attraction When we got to the, you may remember when we got to the passages this week on women giving birth, and it says you're unclean. And it's like, why would God say a blessing is unclean? That doesn't make any sense. But remember, unclean is a category. It's not condemnation. It just means you have to go through a ritual to cleanse yourself after giving birth. Well, we do that today, for crying out loud. We just don't call it that. So we went through and started comparing all these things. And so at the end of the week, I said, how has your view of God changed? And they said, God is really a loving God. We just never stopped and looked at the details and never compared it to the ancient world. Right. So when you do a careful analysis of the Old Testament, you know what you find out? He does vent his wrath. There's no question about it. But it's not against his people. It's against those who would abuse his people like the leaders. Moses catches it, man, right in the face Because he struck the rock instead of spoke to it. And God said, because you did that in front of everybody, I'm going to kill you. You're not going to the promised land. I'm taking your life. That's the punishment for abuse. I mean, for blasphemy. And so he doesn't mind venting his anger towards leaders, which is why, from our perspective, me, the Bible says, "Let let not many of you become teachers. You're going to incur a stricter judgment. And so I live with that all the time. Because I'm in front of you. He also vented his wrath against the enemies of God. So sometimes the people were inside that were opposing. And, you know, when you look in uh, Lamentations, for example, the whole nation uh, is gone. Everybody's gone. The northern kingdom has been destroyed. Southern kingdom has been destroyed. The only thing left is Jerusalem. And the people said, you know what? He's not going to let Jerusalem fall. That's his house. Well, guess what? He let it fall. And Lamentations is a very short book written by Jeremiah of bodies everywhere. They're eating the dead because they're so hungry. And that's the price you pay for sin. Years and years and years and years of sin. But in the middle of that, there's a small remnant of his true believers, his children. And he says to you, my mercies are new every morning. Great is my faithfulness. I will not forget you. My wrath is not against you. against everybody else that turned away from me. And so they began to see that thread that when it comes to being his children, you got it. You serve a wonderful God. And they were able to say, our God is really a loving God. Yes, he is. Yes, he really is. So you just got to be careful when you read the scriptures to know what to make of all that. So we argued a year ago that Leviticus was really like a blueprint. It's a love story. It's, it's, it reflects God's deep and passionate heart for what he wanted of his people who he created. And so... There were some in the Old Testament that navigated that. There was a remnant. And uh, remember Elijah said, there's nobody but me left on the earth. And God said, no, there's 7,000. You just don't know them left on the earth. What did Jesus say? It narrows the way. A few there are that find it. Okay, there's always going to be a remnant. Those are the ones that God loves and cares for and watches out for and protects and blesses. Those are the ones. So the question I have for you to begin with is where are you in that group? How has your perspective changed since we, uh, since we looked at all this the last year? Are you still driven by fear of a pandemic? Pandemic is nothing. I don't want to treat it so lightly. It sounds cavalier. It's my sixth one in my lifetime. You can look it up with the WHO. Every pandemic we have, we have one every 10 years. Oh, I, I'm sorry for those that have died. I really am. It's tragic. It shouldn't have happened. I could have been one of them. I'd have been happy to be one of them. But in the grand scheme of eternity, has the politics still got you rattled, your cage rattled? the confusion of what's going on? who's yelling for this, arguing for that? who's debating this it's like it life's too short it's not worth it, as Paul said, these are momentary light afflictions compared to the eternal weight of glory. We have an eternity of goodness coming. Leviticus gives us the dream, not in the commands and the rules. we're not about scraping mold off the wall anymore. But the, but the reason he did it to make them priests and a holy nation, that dream has not faded. It's a building, it's a blueprint for what's coming. That's us, right here, that's us. And Ephesians is the book that describes this building. It really is. It describes, the, it's one of my favorite books because it is, the, it is the answer, it is the picture, the portrayal of what God envisioned in Leviticus, and that's us. We are that building. And so Ephesians is going to take us through all of these different um, pictures, characteristics of what this building looks like. Okay, so <clears throat> Ephesians is an interesting book. Judy Deal and I were talking. Um, we, when you read it in Greek, it's, it looks a little different than what you see in English. And that's okay. They've done a fantastic job. It's not very easily organized in Greek. For instance, the first 14 verses are all one sentence. Paul loves his run on sentences. Okay? He's like any good preacher. Once he gets going, you can't shut him up. Okay? And he loves them. When you get to chapter two, he starts off with the direct object of the sentence. Okay? And then you've got to look. We never have our Greek students start here, it's so complicated. It's six verses later that you find the verb, you know? He says, you, you know, so if we're going to say something like the boy hit the ball. And he says, you know, the ball, oh, that's the one I bought down at Target. And it's red and it's cost this much money. And we've used it since then. We've played with it for three years. He goes on and on and on before he says, that's the one I hit with a ball, with a bat. That's just the way Paul is. So we have to do some work to make it palatable. It's really fun when you're just reading it in Greek. But that means that there's a lot of inter- approaches to how to understand Ephesians. And having spent at least two decades re- working through all those, I'm going to give you my approach. You just have to understand that not all of you are going to agree, and I'm okay with that. You could be wrong. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's right. Today you're supposed to laugh more. So, uh, But I'm going to take uh, not a heretical approach, but a somewhat unique approach to it so that you can grasp it. Number one, I do not think it was written to Ephesus. Okay? If you look in your Bibles, actually, if you have them, uh it'll say some this is the niv to god's holy people in ephesus little footnote some early manuscripts do not have that word uh none of the early manuscripts have that word okay it's a blank to the church in so re, let me read it without that to god's holy people in blank the faithful in Christ Jesus grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ so that word ephesus is not really there You know what I think? I think it's a circular letter. It's the only time in history where we get to complete the inspiration to the church in Laodicea. That might account for why he says to the Colossians, in Colossians 4, be sure to read the letter sent to the Laodiceans. It's probably this letter. It's a circular letter. Another reason I don't think it was written specifically to the church is Paul spent over two years in Ephesus. Every one of his letters, how does he conclude? Oh, tell so-and-so I love him. Remind so-and-so that I care for them. You know, tell so-and-so I'm praying for them. And he doesn't have any of those greetings up front or at the end. And if he spent so much time there, Ephesians is where he stopped and the elders came. They they walked all the way down. He's in chains to spend time with him on the beach. And they wept together because he said, I'm not going to see you again. The Holy Spirit has revealed to me that I'm going to die when I get back. And so uh, they all wept together. Why wouldn't he name them? So I think it's a circular letter meant to be read to all the churches throughout Asia Minor. Okay? Gentile churches. So, and that's us. So we could say to the church in Dillon, Colorado. This is a portrayal. This is a three-dimensional picture in the spiritual realm of what God dreamed of in Leviticus. And it's us. Okay. Okay. second thing is I interpret it differently than, than uh, some commentators. Um, when you see a letter written, I, Paul, am writing to you Philippians. It's pretty clear. I am writing to you. The I is me and the, and the you are the Philippians. I don't think that's the case here. I think the I or the we are the Jews and the you are the Gentiles. So I'm going to read this whole first section, and I'm going to plug in the word Jews so you can see what I'm talking about. So I'm going to start in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us Jews, there's the first one, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us Jews in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us Jews for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which has freely given us Jews in the one he loves. In him, we Jews, we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us Jews. Okay, pause. About this time, there are a Gentile church reading it. This is familiar language. This is standard anti uh, um, gentile language in the jewish community paul's he's pulling a fast one on the gentile churches tongue-in-cheek think of it that way he's giving them the rhetoric that they're used to hearing why hang on with all wisdom uh with all wisdom and understanding he made known to us jews the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in the messiah to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under the Messiah. In him, we Jews were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we Jews, here's our first clue, who were the first to put our hope in the Messiah might be for the praise of his glory. That's pretty standard anti-Gentile rhetoric. And now comes the surprise of surprises. And you Gentiles, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you Gentiles believed, you also were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, it doesn't really matter which way we go. Standard or my or my perspective. Mine's a little more interesting. It's a little more the scenic route, and it accounts for some coming surprises throughout the book that we're going to see. It sets us up for this incredible story between the Jews and the Gentiles, which we saw all through history until Christ came. And then what he's doing is he's now going to take this, and he's going to unravel it and make this. That's what he's going to do. Okay. Because this building is all about bringing together everybody that's part of the faith. You see what the Jews did with Leviticus? They did this. It was meant to be, come everybody, come. Be an attraction, come. Come be part of us. Our laws are so much better than yours because we have a God who loves us. We're not afraid of this God. That's what they were supposed to do. What they did was, you're not like us, so stay out. They even put a border on the, the temple proper. Uh, Gentiles, cross this border at the risk of your own life. We'll We'll kill you. You're not like us to stay out. That was never the intent. Solomon, King Solomon at the dedication of the temple, 1 Kings 8, right in the middle of his prayer, one of my favorite passages, he says, and Lord, when the foreigner comes because they've heard your great name, for they will indeed hear of your great name, listen to them, their prayers, and bless them so that... They will know that you are the one true God. We were always designed as a people of God to bring the world. We were priests to the world, not priests to ourselves. Always, from day one. What God envisioned, his dream in Leviticus, was a people of God that cared for the world. All aspects of it, including creation, by the way. i we'll say a word about that in just a minute. All of creation. Okay? And they said, you're not like us, so stay out. And so Paul is writing this to describe the building that the Holy Spirit is building, which is us. And what we're going to see is this becomes this. And so this building is going to have several characteristics. We're going to find out where the windows are and the doors and how the lights function. And what does this building look like and that sort of thing. Um, One of the builders after the first service said, this is fantastic. So we're building the building. When do we get the CO? I, I said, well, "What's a, a, CO? <laughs> a Certificate of Occupancy, dude. You're in it right now. <laughs> We're all part of the building right now. So this is what this book is all about. And so I read to you the, with my perspective of how to translate it. Okay, how to what he's really doing here. This tongue in cheek. So um, the only other thing, I want, a couple of things I want you to see here is that um, this blessing. He starts off with verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Sometimes we translate this. <coughs> I know many of the translators, and I know what they're trying to do, but sometimes we leave, we leave a gold nugget buried because we translate it a certain way. Here's what it literally says. Blessed be God who blesses us. Okay? Which is a very Old Testament thing to say. Blessed be God. God is blessed. Do you ever think about the fact that he's blessed because he made you? You are a blessing to him. It's hard for us to imagine that. It's really hard. You are a blessing to him because he created you. Okay? So the very first thing he says is, blessed be God because he has blessed us in the heavenly realms. Okay, pause. Heavenly realms. We got this new idea just presented about this building. I've said many times, if I could take these glasses off and put on the spiritual ones, it would look very different. For example, the letters to uh, the seven churches in Revelation, Jesus says, I'm standing right in your midst. If I put the right lenses on, I'd be talking, oh, whoa, Jesus, you get up here and preach. I'm sitting down. He's standing right here. He's with us right now. Don't ever pretend you're alone. You're not. He's with you constantly. The world looks so different right now. And so when we talk about the heavenly realms, when I talk about my trip, yeah, it's a minor series of inconveniences, but at the same time, it's pretty thrilling to say, okay, God, what's next? Okay, God, what's next? Wow. Satan really must not want this trip to happen to throw eight things at me instead of two. So this is pretty awesome. I get to watch the Lord work. There's nothing I can do. What am I going to do? Make him get the test faster? Make me get on a better plane? I don't know. I don't have any control. I'm just along on the ride watching Satan and the Lord duke it out. That's heavenly realms. That's why I've been saying over and over again, don't look at affliction as affliction. Look at it as a shaping. Even your sin. I've asked this question so many times over the years. How many of you sinned in the last week? I asked it in a class. Every hand goes up. How many of you sinned in the week before that? Every hand goes up. Week before that, every hand goes up. Week before that, every hand goes up. When's the last time you remember God punishing you? Nobody can ever remember it. That's not the way God works. He doesn't punish you for your sin. He shapes you because of your sin. He shapes you for more ministry and teaches you lessons that you should have learned. That's what he's doing every step of the way. You don't have to worry about the punishment aspect of it. I even asked them, what do you? how do you view God in your culture? Here's what they said. He's a judge. Just got it, Gotcha, gotcha. And after this class, they just wept. On the last day. Several of them said, That's not who God is. That's not who God is at all. He's not interested in punishing you for your sin. He's interested in teaching you and shaping you because of your sin. He turns it into something wonderful, is what happens with it. Okay? This is what it means to live in the heavenly realms. You are blessed in the heavenly realms, and that is our reality now. We don't know what it's like. We're stuck. We don't know what it's like to live in a culture with, with uh, honest, true, pure, righteous leaders. We just don't know. We don't know what it's like to live in a land without greed and corruption, pollution. We don't know what that's like. We can only imagine it. It's, that's all we have capable right now. But we're not like the world. Our hope is not based on probability. Our hope is based on reality. That is our reality. If anyone is in Christ, they are part of the new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. That's the reality of the world right now. We just have to wait until the Lord changes this mess because our reality is a good one. So when I'm going through all these airports, you know, I'm not sure what time it is anymore. Time zones are changing so fast and, and things keep getting thrown at me left and right, you know. I mean, I'm on the airplane. And you know what they serve me for food? An omelet with mushrooms. I hate mushrooms. <laughs> I could only get one bite down. That was it. And I said... Really, God, you're even going to go to this level right here. Just give me a bread, a bun, and a cup of coffee. I'll be happy. Every step of the way, when this is coming, you know what I'm thinking? This is going to be a good class. Because Satan really doesn't want me to get there happy or maybe get there at all. That's reality. That's what he's talking about. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms, with every spiritual blessing. It's no longer probable for you. It's now certain. Your reality is a spiritual reality. It's not a pretend anymore. What we have here, momentary light afflictions, Paul says, in light of the eternal weight of glory. Okay, well, two more things. Number uh, One is I want you to see that the Trinity is involved. Verse uh, 4 For he, this is the Father, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. And then when you jump down to verse, um, let's see here, seven. In him, now it's Christ. We have redemption through his blood. And then when you get down to verse 13, and you also Gentiles, you're included, you're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so we have the Trinity involved. And so what we have here is we have the entire Godhead at work to develop our spiritual reality. It's real for us. And so when I went through chapter 1, I already read it, I pulled out all the aspects of the blessing. So the verse starts, Blessed be God who has blessed us. So characteristic number one of this building right here is that we are blessed. We are blessed. Listen to what he says. I'm just going to read them to you. What does it mean to be blessed? It means that God chose us. In fact, when you read Ephesians 1, the subject of every verb is God, not us. It means he chose us. For what purpose? Think about what choosing is. We make it way too complicated. We're going to go out in the park and we're going to play soccer. So you're a captain and you're a captain. And you to get to pick your teams. What are you choosing your teams for? To play soccer. What did he choose us for? To be priests to the world. To care for the world and creation. Those always go together. Well, yeah, Creation to care for the animals, all of that, okay? He chose us for this. It means, this is what it means, it means he created us to be holy and blameless. For our own benefit? No, partly so we can enjoy him more, but so the world will look at us and say, I want what you have. It means that he is ultimately motivated by his passionate and personal love. And love, he did all this, it says. So he's the one that created us. We're his creation. He loves each one of you. He loves every human on the planet. He loves every animal on the planet. He loves the planet. (laughs) He made it. It means he adopted us as his own. We're no longer orphans wandering around in the dark. We now belong. And only do we belong. We have all the riches that go with being part of the family. What did Jesus say? You are co-heirs. We rule together We reign with Christ as co-heirs. We receive the inheritance that Christ receives. We share it with him. It means that he looks on us with pleasure. You ever think that way? You're a blessing to the Lord and he looks at you and he's just pleased. He's grinning. When you sin, he's not upset. He goes, (laughs) but he's still laughing. You know, there's that idiot Howard again. You know, we're going to have to help him, but it still finds pleasure. It means that he redeemed and continues to redeem us, we get ourselves in trouble over and over and over again, and he's there bailing us out every time, day and night. In fact, what is it we know? Satan is accusing us day and night. And what is Jesus doing? Defending us day and night. Okay, what, I mean, Satan said, did you see what Howard did? He just lusted after the woman. And Jesus said, oh my gosh, he did. You're right, he sinned. No, Jesus says, yeah, it's okay. I already died for him. It's fine. It's taken care of. He's protecting you and defending you every step of the way. It means he forgave us. We no longer have to worry. Your sins are forgiven. Lamentations 3. His mercies are new every morning. When you wake up in the morning, slate has been wiped clean. He forgot what you did yesterday. Isn't that great? He doesn't remember it. He forgave us. It means that he lavishes grace on us. Whenever I do uh, uh, anoint people with the oil, show up with the elders to pray for the sick, I tell them you've got two options. I can do it the 21st century American way or I can do it the Old Testament biblical way. What's the Old Testament way? I take the whole flask of oil and just dump it on your head. It runs down everywhere, all over your robe, down your beard, your furniture, everything. And they say, well, I think we'll take the 21st century way. But that's a picture. That's a picture of blessing. The oil is blessing. He lavishes that. And so they dump the whole thing on to remind you how blessed you are in God because that's what grace is like. It means that he reveals to us the mystery of the things we cannot see. This is chapter three when we get there. He is explaining to us, we have the inside knowledge of what's happening all around us. And it's not about our president and who's the president. It's about our God and who's, what he's doing. It means he's reconciling us and restoring our unity with him and all of creation, including all the animals. He's restoring all that and reconciling it. We are to be ambassadors of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5. We should be the one to lead the world in reconciling ethnic differences, racial, gender uh, tensions, all of that. We should be the ones, discrimination. It means that we are to him praise that brings him glory. Do you realize that you're his praise? He is our praise, but you're his praise. He's the one that made you. It means that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, promise, never to be undone, never to be let go. It's permanent. That it means that we now have an inheritance. An inheritance in Scripture is always a legal passing of something that you get to keep. You never get rid of it. You see, this eternal life is an inheritance. It's yours. It's yours. And you sin and blow it, which you're all going to do. You didn't take it away. He begins to shape you differently so you realize how stupid you were. And finally, it helps us to understand what we are to be like. This is what it means to be blessed. That's the first chapter. So what does this building look like? That dream that God had in uh, Leviticus? The very first thing is it was a house of blessing, a building of blessing. Father, thank you for blessing, for blessing us. Thanks for... um, your tender, passionate care, never turning your back on us, never isolating yourself from us, never marginalizing us, always embracing us, always caring for us. In your son's name we pray, amen.